Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Academy Award-nominated filmmaker Steve James, known for such films as Hoop Dreams, Life Itself, The Interrupters, Abacus, Small Enough to Jail, and many others, examines racial, economic, and class issues in the contemporary American education in the multi-part, unscripted documentary series America to Me. Poignant and funny, epic, and intimate, America to Me spends an academic year at Chicagoland's elite Oak Park and River Forest High School allowing its students and families and faculty and administration to tell the stories of the pressures and challenges teens face today in their own words. Once again, we're, we're honored to have with us uh, the, uh, the director, producer, the, the, really the, uh, the inspiration behind this uh, project. By the way, for STARS um, a channel, STARS, you can watch it on STARS. But that would be Steve James. Steve, welcome back to Film School. Uh, great to be here. Thank you. Um, uh, well, I mean, this is not uncharted territory for you in terms of your career as a filmmaker with Hoop Dreams and so many other films that deal with race and economic opportunity and class and all the rest of it. Um, but what inspired you? What was the sort of the impetus behind you following these students at Oak Park and River Forest High School? Well, <clears throat> the inspiration really came when um, my kids were in school there. Um, uh, you know, about 10, 12 years ago. Uh, and, you know, I, one of my kids really struggled academically because of uh, ADD. Uh, I had another kid who was a, you know, high flyer academically, you know, and, and the different experiences that each of them had of that school, given where they fell in the tracking system and, and if you will, in the pecking order, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, really, really struck me. And then when I put on top of that and asked myself the question, what if, uh, you know, what if they were black? How would it be even more different? Uh, because at the time and for decades, Oak Park as a community has been struggling with this issue of academic achievement disparities between its black students and white students, despite being a very liberal, progressive uh, community with a very well-funded public school system. And so that was the initial spark. That was years ago, and it took a, a long time to get around to actually getting an opportunity to make the series. What, was, what sort of institutional, if there was, in fact, any sort of institutional resistance? Was there um, on the part of Oak Park or the administration? Or I mean, you have such a great track record as a filmmaker and as someone who's obviously spent so much of your life and career in Chicago, I would assume that would have been a, a sort of a calling card for you. And going, But what was the sort of, what was the reception like for you to, when you presented this idea to the administration? Well, one of the reasons why I didn't pursue this for so long is, is that I didn't really, frankly, think that the school would, would allow a film like that to be made. And I was um, partially right about that. The administration of the school, the principal and the superintendent and the higher level administrators were all opposed to the film being made. But what I found out from series producer John Conney, who was also a teacher in the school, was that the, um, the school board was really in charge of making that decision. And so we went about a process of, 
of meeting with school board members, uh, of meeting with teachers, even some administrators, and presenting the, this project to the board, and eventually they voted over the objections of the administration to allow us to come in to make the series because they felt that it was time that the community really held a mirror up to itself around some of these issues that they'd been struggling with for decades. Now, I think the fact that I'd lived in the community all these years, mm -hmm. that my kids went to the school, mm -hmm. and that I had a track record as a filmmaker uh, of documentaries that, that many of the school board members had seen and, and respected, certainly made a big difference in, in their willingness to sort of take this courageous step. I don't think anyone um, could have just kind of walked in there and pitch the idea of doing this uh, and have them say yes. Yeah. Well, then the next step is once you've, just, once you've gotten the, the go-ahead from administration, obviously you picked a, a wonderful team of people to help you, yeah. your, your segment people. I, I just had uh, Bing Lu on the program oh, for my, yeah, Mining the Gap. What a wonderful, first of all, what a wonderful person. He was just a terrific um, interview and just a, seemed like a great person to be around. Yeah. But he's also looks like a person with a, a burgeoning career in in oh, documentary yeah. filmmaker. Yeah, we we really one of the things that came out in meeting with the school board uh, that was made clear, and I wholeheartedly agreed with it was, is that this was not going to be the stories of these kids that we follow, which are mostly black and biracial. Although starting in episode five, we yeah. introduce uh, white kids that we follow in their families as well. But that we weren't going to be able to just we weren't going to tell this story with me as a single sort of creative um, interpretation, if you will, of their lives, that it was going to be a um, multi-ethnic uh, crew. Yeah. Um, I recruited Bing, as you say, who's an incredibly talented filmmaker. I also recruited Rebecca Parrish, a young um, woman filmmaker who uh, had made a terrific film called Radical Grace. And Kevin Shaw, an African-American filmmaker who has done a lot of terrific work, particularly um, telling really great sports-themed films. With this team of filmmakers, we were able, I think, to really um, bond with the, the many students that we were following and bring that kind of rich perspective to, to the storytelling. Well, and also with a crew like that, with, a, with the people around you, you, you had, an, I would assume, part of that, uh, the vetting process of figuring out, you know, who we're following and why, yeah. and and I mean to do that on your own would have been just a tremendous undertaking. But with all Impossible. that help, but you had, and again, I, I said it in, uh, during the introduction. I just love these kids. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, and I, and I think it's a testament to the film, to you as a filmmaker, that we feel connected to them. Um, some take longer than others to sort of uh, to reveal themselves in the course of the of the stories, but yes. others don't, and others are just. I, I really was drawn to all of them, and and also you got the participation of the of teachers as well, and uh, all of them are sincere, well-meaning, uh, devoted uh, public servants, and and devoted to these kids and, and and making a better life for them. Congratulations just again on kind of getting a, a, the kind of cross-section to tell this story, I think, in a, in a way that really resonates. I think it's, it's key in documentary that people feel connected to your main subjects. Um, they don't always have to admire everything they do or, or agree with what they do, but they do need to feel a connection. And I agree with you. I think the kids in the series, they represent some very different types of personalities, of levels of academic achievement, of different home situations, of struggles. Uh, and yet 
you know, I think our intention was, and I think we did succeed in getting you to pull for them, yeah, to pull for their success uh, and and to overcome. And I think it was really important too for me uh, going into this project. You know, I've done a number of films that focused on the lives of um, African American families in pretty de- desperate circumstances. You know, Hoop Dreams is certainly an example of that. The Interrupters is an ex- another example. Yeah. Um, these are stories of kids who are fortunate enough to live in a place like Oak Park, to come from working class or middle class backgrounds, to have a kind of safety net, if you will, most of them, not all of them, that many of the kids in in poor West Side Chicago or South Side Chicago lack. But I felt like it was really important to tell stories of kids who grow up in different circumstances that that too little attention has been paid to in documentary. And I'm pointing the finger at myself when I say that because I hadn't been telling those stories either. In in addition to the students and the teachers, and uh, you also had the cooperation of the families involved, not, again, to varying degrees, but still you did. So we get not just the story of them at school, you get the story of them in their lives. Just before we go any further, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Steve James, and he is the director, producer, uh, uh, responsible for this wonderful documentary series on uh, stars called America to Me. And uh, you'll know Steve's work from Hoop Dreams, The Interrupters, Abacus, Small Enough to Jail, which was nominated for an Academy Award, Life Itself, which should have... I, was it nominated? It was not. <laughs> no, no, I can't believe... There's so many of your work that I... I, I we're, we're not going to go down that road. Okay, we're going to leave that aside. Uh, uh, and also one of my favorite sports documentaries that I've seen in a long time. I saw it on ESPN, No Crossover, The Trial of Alan oh. Iverson, which was, I completely, I always admired him, but, but boy, you humanized him so beautifully and really gave context to his, his story and his journey in, in ways that are really remarkable. I, I sort of dive into the, without getting into all the sort of the uh, fine detail of the stories behind what these kids are going through, it, without, it goes without saying that the, there's sort of there's school within the school that we talk about in the in the series, which is draws along racial lines, maybe more, also economic lines. But I guess I guess the big picture, the thirty thousand foot uh, question, would be: Did you expect there to be this kind of a, a sociological racial um, divide that we see in the film? Or, or to sort of explain, maybe that's not the greatest way to ask the question. No, but, I think uh, that's a good, that's a perfectly good way to ask it. I think that. Um, <clears throat> You know, I, I, I was certainly aware um, from my own kids' experience there and from some of the, you know, uh, research we did leading into pitching ultimately to the school board that there were certain racial divisions within the school that the lunchroom was way too segregated. Um, it's not completely segregated, and we show that. You see kids, right. black kids, white kids. You see multiracial tables, but you also see, uh, <laughs> I think, far too many tables that are all white and all black. And I knew that to be the case. I also knew from when my son was there, back, way back in 2002 is when he first went to the school. My oldest son, he was in the marching band, and we would go to football games. And I, I noticed way back in 2002, and I'm sure it wasn't the first year that that had happened, was that the cheerleading squad was overwhelmingly black and that the drill team was overwhelmingly white and that the cheerleaders performed at one end of the stands which is which was not where the student section and the band was where all the fun was but uh at the end of the um stadium where 
uh, as it turns out, most of the African-American members of the community and even students would sit. It felt like a kind of a black section of the stands. And, you know, I remember noticing that way back then and wondering how curious, it, I, you know, it is that this, there's this kind of division and that the cheerleading team is a black space and the drill team is a white space. And the band was a largely overwhelmingly white space. And here we came along all these years later to do the series, and that was still very much the case. Um, so there were a lot of things that that did not surprise me because I had seen them, uh, or the surprise was that they were still that way and nothing had changed. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you're in the school the way we were for a whole year, as immersively as we were, of course you're, gonna, you're going to have a, a much more nuanced and and refined understanding of just all the ways in which that plays out. Like I had, I had no idea, for example, that the security guards, uh, who are overwhelmingly represented by minorities, black and Latino, but mostly black, felt such disenfranchisement within the school as security guards. Mm. Uh, same was true with the cafeteria staff. You learn that in a later episode that yeah. the, that the black members of the of the cafeteria staff feel like, like there's a tremendous amount of unequal treatment of them as employees. And, you know, so in addition to following the kids and their families and classrooms, we also, I didn't want to ignore the staff in the school because that's really where most of the adults of color work at that school. The number of actual black teachers in this very large school is, is embarrassingly low, uh, which was another thing that I wasn't completely aware of until we made the series. Yeah. The film is enlightening. It is at times it feels like we're going backwards, but there are times watching the film where it feels like we are making progress, yeah. and at very least we're talking more honestly about the way things are. Now, that doesn't always yeah. and maybe never, hopefully will, but doesn't always mean that it translates into actual progress. But it does feel like there's an honesty going on in these conversations, at least among the students, and and as well as with their their teachers, that is encouraging. I agree. <clears throat> there's a lot of really great things going on in the school, and there's a there's a level of, I think, sophistication and awareness, particularly particularly by kids of color, um, and and some white kids as well, but 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 very strongly, I think, by kids of color who find themselves in the school environment that is in some ways incredibly supportive um, and, um, and, and, in, and in many ways they're going to a school that, that is as good as it gets in terms of resources. Yeah. But the, then, of course, the, there is as well this feeling of um, unequal treatment uh, of the, the school and community falling short. And so you do see a lot of really great things and inspiring things, and you see some extracurricular activities where um, kids come together, like the spoken word team, yeah. black and white kids come together, right. and it is a, uh, an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, our intention was not to go in and just do some kind of diatribe on Oak Park River Forest High School or an expose right. on everything that's wrong with the school without without making it clear that there's a lot to be proud of at the school because that's what we saw and that's what's fair to, to show. Right, and there is the, this just sort of um, elephant in the room that has to do with academic achievement, sort of the gap between African-American students and, and white students. 
that that there are a number of the the uh, teachers who are obviously very concerned about. It. I think Jessica Stovall and uh, right. Aaron Pot. Podolder. Yeah, Podolder. I knew I was going to butcher that name. Podolder, as well as others who are truly, uh, really dedicated to closing that gap and and making and making a difference in in not just in the lives of these particular kids, but make trying to find ways to institutionalize these techniques, if you will, or teaching or whatever that the right word is to make it not just for this class or for that student, but it's it's a part of the culture of the school and. Uh, those are those are encouraging. Um, uh, I mean, uh, can I offer? I, I want to offer an observation, and please shoot it down if <laughs> if you can or will, please. Um, watching this and watching these kids and many of the uh, kids, the African American kids in the in the, in the school, it's, do well in certain uh, certain areas of of uh, academia, and 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 I kept think kept coming back to this idea that oftentimes. These were disciplines within this within the curriculum, where as a student I could understand and relate to. They they felt like they had a particular stake. They had a voice in those areas of academia, where in others, whether it be the, the math or the science, where it fe- it felt more like it, they didn't. And I and I yeah. and I and I don't know if that is a, a in any way a good insight or if it, or a key to moving forward and closing this gap, but it just felt like these were things that they really felt like they had uh, a voice, a voice in it, and that's why the arts are so important. I'm just going to throw in that part of it. That's why the arts are such an important part of academia. But go ahead. I'm go ahead. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good observation, and I think that you know I'm not a. Um academic and I'm not uh you know someone who is <clears throat> who can yeah. quote research to support anything that you're saying or I'm about to say but I I did observe a similar thing and I think that what it gets down to is is not that um uh, you know and and you have to be careful not to generalize because there's certainly right. a lot of students right. that that of color who who perform well in those other disciplines but yes there, there. You know, I think it's always going to be true of education, just like it's true of anything you do in life, that you have to have a, a sense of um, accomplishment or a sense of the, that that what it is you're doing has real stakes and ramifications for you, um, and that's part of what can motivate you to do well in them. And it may come out of a passion for the subject. Or in the case of certain um, subjects, you know, and, and this is true of white kids, any kids, yes. is you don't necessarily see any particular great personal value in learning math. <laughs> At one point, Kendall says, what am I going to do with math, you know, when I get older? And he's probably right that he's probably not going to do much with math as an adult. But I think one of the differences is, is that white kids feel so... Um, invested and their families invested in the educational system as it has evolved in this country that there is an element of playing the game of academics that white kids and their families have historically benefited from exactly and see the value in it exactly and so you know they will they will struggle less with a math class that they could care less about simply because on some level they have this understanding of of what that can get them that's right um, in terms of ACT scores, GPAs, that then is going to be reward them with uh, going to the kind of college that they 
want to go to that they might not get to go to had they not applied themselves in that way. And I think for a lot of kids of color, the ones who are struggling, the system has never worked for them like that. Um, and so it's harder for them to look at a class that feels like it has no connection whatsoever to their lives and see that the game that is being played there that can benefit them uh, because they have too often not benefited <laughs> right. from the game. That's exactly right. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you for making my my points sound even mar- smarter than. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I appreciate that. And uh, but one of the things one of the things we get into um, in a later episode is is that you learn that um, Jada, for example, and for those who haven't seen the series, Jada is a senior African American student. She's incredibly um, bright, passionate. She makes these. Um, uh, video documentaries tackling issues of race in, in differing ways, and she's not even getting credit for those. She's just so passionate about it, she does it, right? right? And you find out later in the series that she's someone who has struggled with her GPA and ACT scores. She, in fact, is a kind of a perfect example of, of a black student who is underperforming. And I, I think it will come for people who have been watching the series, is something of a shock. You can't imagine that Jada isn't excelling in school. And then you learn that, that she doesn't test well, that she, she didn't know about some of the, uh, or have the opportunity to avail herself of ACT prep stuff when she took her ACT scores. <clears throat> and what that leads to is, is um, a, prof- a teacher of hers, Tyrone Williams, um, talking about how the way the system is designed to define intelligence, which is very limiting. It's defined by GPA and ACT scores, and that we need as a society to find ways to look at kids and understand how they are smart, not if they are smart. Right. And Jada is a perfect example of that. Right. And and uh, not exactly the same um, sort of uh, storyline, but Keyshawn also is is exceptionally bright. Yes. And I, I think, because I'm, I'm dyslexic, I think he's dyslexic. Mm-hmm. I, he, 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 he mirrors some of my, my academic uh, career in, that, in the sense that he, his ability, his sort of uh, gift of gab, his personality, he was able to mask an awful lot of the, dis- yep. the de- deficiencies in the way that he, he went about his schoolwork. And it sort of reminded me of myself when I was in school. So, um, but... I mean, there's so many examples. Grant Lee, there's uh, Kendale, uh, who There's just so many great kids in the, in this film, uh, in this series, I should say. And God, I just uh, my heart goes out to all of them. It's it was really it's just a terrific series. And uh, again, it's still. I mean, obviously, it is on stars. It will be on stars for as probably as long as we're alive. But it, uh, <laughs> but it, it's just a terrific project, uh, uh, Steve James. I really. Um, Really thrilled to to be able to talk to you about it, um, and honestly, uh, thank you again for finding time to come back on Film School. It's just uh, it's an honor to have you on every time. So, thank you, okay. Steve. <laughs> okay. uh, I wonder how, before we before we let you go, I want to uh, once again um, the film the the film series the documentary series is called. Uh, America to me, and we've been uh, talking with the director producer Steve James. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.